Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 17. I actually have given this business card to people a couple of years ago and I've met them in a different country and they've opened their wallet and they still have the business card in there and they say they keep it in there because they literally show it to everybody that they meet. I would say don't be afraid of exporting, don't think that there's a barrier, that barrier is literally in your head. Get out there, go to trade fairs, even if you're not exhibiting, just actually going to these places because all the people you need to speak to are there, they're all in one place. I'm Depesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. This podcast is going to be all about racing cars. Just kidding, but it got your attention. I will come back to racing cars a bit later. Exporting is great, but hard. The global economy is changing fast and businesses need to constantly adapt to keep up. Grappling with tariff changes, trade wars, certificates of origin, inco terms and all of the customs documentation is no easy feat for a small business. Back to cars now. The UK exports vehicles and vehicle components to around 160 countries around the world. Last year, more than 1.5 million cars were manufactured to exports. That's over 80% of all vehicles produced in the UK. On that subject, we spoke to the winner of the Queen's Award for Enterprise in the International Trade category. It was at the Institute of Exports summer reception last month. I caught up with award-winning exporter Imran Arshad, founder of Eventuri, an SME that designs and manufactures advanced carbon fibre air intake systems used for performance cars. From 3D printing to laser scanning, we are amazed by the technologies, opportunities and markets that Imran's company are using and caught up to find out more. Hi Imran, thank you for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. Hi Dipesh, thanks for having me. So Imran, in no more than 30 seconds, tell us your elevator pitch. Who are you and what do you do at Inventuri? So my name is Imran Arshad. I am the co-founder of Inventuri and my main role at the company is sales and marketing and setting up the international distribution channels. We met on a boat, the Institute of Exports and International Trade Summer event. Listeners, I'm sure you can hear this noise. This is the business card that you gave me, um, which is probably why you're here today. Imran, (laughs) Imran, tell us a bit more about this business card. So the business card is actually made from carbon fiber, which is what most of our products are made from. And it does get the same reaction from everyone I give it to. Um, I actually have given this business card to people a couple of years ago and I've met them in a different country and they've opened their wallet and they still have the business card in there. And they say they keep it in there because they literally show it to everybody that they meet. Eventually was recently awarded the Queen's Award for Enterprise and International Trade. Congratulations. So what's the secret to your success? Tell me a little bit more about your your business and also your journey as an SME exporter. Eventually started in 2014 and previous to that, I my other business had been exporting to other countries already. So I utilized the existing distribution channels I had to promote the new product that we were selling. So we've 
although we're based in the UK, we only sell 10% of our product to the UK. 90% of it is exported. 50% of that is Europe. I would say 30% is America and the rest is the rest of the world at the moment. What components do you, what do you export? We export the performance air boxes for performance cars. So we literally redesign the air intake systems that come in combustion engine cars. So every car that has a combustion engine has an air box, which basically has two jobs. One is to provide the engine with air as part of the combustion process. And the other is to stifle the sound of it so the engine doesn't sound too loud. So we literally redesigned that air box to give the car more performance and a bit more sound. And it is mainly for performance cars. So things like BMW M3, Audi RS3, things like that, because those people are interested in enhancing the performance of their car even further. A Brit's not buying BMWs. They actually buy a lot of BMWs, but what we find is the countries we're exporting to, I think uh, the end user actually has a bit more disposable income. So whereas here people are struggling to make the finance payments on the car, and I don't think really appreciate paying good money for good quality in other countries, they don't see it like that. And especially in places like America, we find that the people who have these cars, the disposable income is a lot higher and they're much more willing to pay money for quality products. So your production methods use very new technology such as 3D scanning, printing, and CFD analysis. I was recently at, uh, at ICC Beijing with, uh, with uh, Lionel Taylor and John Bajaya, and, and they were talking about how such cutting edge technologies could really have, excuse the pen there, uh, <laughs> could really have an impact on, on supply chains globally, especially with regards to 3D printing. What are, what are your thoughts on this and what future opportunities uh, can these methods create, particularly for your business? I'll just explain to uh, listeners what the technologies are very briefly so they have a, a, an understanding of what we do. So the process of us developing a product is the car comes in and we 3D scan the engine bay, which then gives us the space that we have to be able to design the new product. That is then designed in a program called SolidWorks, which is a version of CAD. And once that's designed, we can then actually 3D print the prototypes. Now this saves us an amazing amount of time before, whereas a product might take six months to actually design and prototype, we can actually have it done in one week. And then we can physically test that prototype on the car and verify that it's working as it should do. And then once that's done, we can go to full production. So in terms of 3D printing and um, manufacturing, at the moment, the main use of 3D printing is actually prototyping, but more and more people are using it for manufacturing. Just an ex as an example, BMW now in one of their latest engines actually 3D prints the cylinder head. And I believe it's the first time a manufacturer has done that on large scale. So in terms of manufacturing going forward, it has huge implications because it could mean that for example, uh, let's take a, a glasses frame, for example, someone could order a design of glasses frames and rather that being produced in China and then shipped over to UK and going through all of the usual customs process, somebody could buy that file and then print it at home on their printer. So they've literally cut the whole process of that product being manufactured and shipped all, you know, halfway across the world and then being retailed. So not only does it save a lot of cost, it has implications for the environment in terms of shipping and all the employment that's involved in getting that product over. So it could really disrupt the way the world works. Yeah, that was very, very interesting. Good, because we can see that this is having a, a real 
material uh, is making a material difference in the car and auto market. Clearly, your company is is making a huge difference to this industry. I want to go into a little bit more detail on on your export journey. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about both the barriers and the process and also the opportunities that you see and have when you export to other markets, particularly some of your Asian markets. We'd be interested to get an insight. We started exporting to America first and then and obviously Europe because they are a trading neighbor and it's very easy to trade with these countries, especially America, because it's a large English speaking nation. Once we got into those countries, then we found that people from other markets started taking notice of our products. And then I think the main thing is actually going to see these people, going to the trade fairs, seeing the people, getting your product in their hands so they can actually see the quality of it. And we we built even Churi's brand on social media, so mainly Instagram. So we take beautiful pictures of the products, we make really cool videos. But as good as that is, I don't think there's a substitute for actually getting a product into people's hands and meeting them personally. So part of my main role now is actually visiting all of our main distributors all over the world and just maintaining the relationship we have with them. So as you know, as good as your product is, I do believe that the personal connection you have with the people who are buying it is even more important. That's very interesting. So trade fairs, are they primarily in the UK or are they overseas trade fairs? And, and also, what I'd, I'd be very interested to find out what support is the UK government doing to kind of bring you to trade fairs overseas, perhaps? Okay, so at the moment, we're not receiving any kind of funding, or I'm not aware that there is, so everything's done off our own back. In terms of actual trade fairs, there is one in the UK, but we actually never go to it because the Tokyo Auto Salon in Japan is at the same time, and that region's market is worth so much more to us than the UK that we actually skip it every single year and go to Tokyo Auto Salon. So these trade fairs are in almost every country. So America has a really large one called SEMA. That's in November. That is the largest one in the world. I think it has 300,000 visitors and they're all trade customers. So not end users. And in terms of the actual export journey, so when it comes to exporting the the parts from your UK Mm -hmm. factories and warehouses to to Tokyo, for example, what's the journey? What are the challenges? To be fair, we haven't had any challenges. The challenges are finding someone in that country who can speak your language, because obviously we have we don't speak Japanese. Um, so we find that a lot of the bigger companies in these countries do have an English speaking person. So that that's one barrier, language. Um, so once that's sorted out, actually shipping the products out is not too much of an issue. Um, obviously, the, when the product gets to Japan, for example, they have their own trade tariffs and customs that they have to deal with. But when you're dealing with somebody who's quite experienced, they understand that and they build that cost into the product. So when they retail the product in that country, that's already built in. So in terms of challenges, I think it's actually getting your product to these people and then actually getting over the language barrier. Once you've done that, then it becomes a bit easier. That's very interesting because I think there's a there's a lot of perception in the industry that things like Inco terms, custom declarations, certificates of origin, etc., and also the cost for employing specialists who are experts in that is prohibitive for you to export to Asia, for example, and and understand those those barriers. So we haven't really seen a problem with that. Yes, you have forms to fill out, but. For myself and my team, we just see that as an extra bit of admin that we have to do. I think the only country we've had some problems with is Korea because they have a trade agreement where 
if uh, you have a certificate origin that's from England, then there's no taxation or customs uh, when it gets to South Korea. But then they're very strict in how they apply that. And then we've ended up having to put made in England stickers on like every single component rather than just the box itself, which gets a bit difficult. But realistically, I think that's the only thing I can I can tell you about. But because the export work market is worth so much, it's literally it's a very small barrier to to the um, enormous amount of trade that's out there. Let's talk about Brexit and a no deal Brexit. The automotive industry is probably one of the most at threat from trade tariffs, given the complexity of EU UK supply chains. Is this impacting your business? Does this worry you? What's your outlook on the sector, particularly with your customers within the EU? Is a concern at the moment. It's not impacting the business because we don't know what's going on. It did initially because that we don't know what's going on was affecting people's ability to commit to spending money or commit to stock, and we did see a slight lull. But now it's got to the point. I think people have sort of given up caring what's going to happen, and they're just carrying on anyway. Um, in terms of impact of a no deal Brexit, it is something that our German distributors particularly are worried about because our product provides most of their revenue. And they're concerned about a price hike in the product. Personally, I'm more concerned about actually getting the product there once there's a no deal. If we can get the product there, I think our product can survive having a price hike in terms of the actual customs itself. I don't think it's going to be that much. I mean, when we import something from America, we pay what a couple of percent. So, is going to make a difference in terms of admin costs, in terms of if we have to fill out more forms. But it's the uncertainty I think that's killing everything right now, rather than what's actually going to happen. I mean, Germany still has a lot of product coming from England, and they also, you know, export a lot to England. They they do sell a lot of cars here, so. I'm sure they'll have to come to some kind of agreement, but I think the sooner the better because I think the uncertainty is the worst thing about it. That's very interesting, and, and we hear this so often, particularly from SMEs, but also right up to uh, larger companies with very complex supply chains. Which is, you know, let's make a decision because businesses can plan for and prepare for whatever circumstances、yeah. there are, mitigate the risk, bake in increased margins, or. Bake in increased tariffs into into the margins and make that work for for the different businesses. Yeah. So just one thing I wanted to add was that if push comes to shove and it becomes very difficult, we have already talked about making a base in Germany, for example, where we can actually have a separate manufacturing plant where we have the components basically sent there and we manufacture there, and then that services Europe. But we will see what happens. Onto my penultimate question now: What advice would you give a founder or CEO who is just starting their exporting journey? I would say, don't be afraid of exporting. Don't think that there's a barrier. That barrier is literally in your head. Get out there, go to trade fairs, even if you're not exhibiting. Just actually going to these places because all the people you need to speak to are there. They're all in one place. So regardless of whether you have a booth and you know you want people to come to see you there, if you can't afford it, just go out there. Arrange meetings with people, show them your product, and just just do it. Really, I don't think there should be a barrier to people thinking that oh, the admin part of it's scary. But I think it's very important to actually meet these people in the flesh, show them your product, show them that there's a face behind it. And for me, I think that's been the most sort of important part of the whole exporting journey that we've had.
Thank you very much, Imran. And, and I guess f- leading on to my final question, what are the medium to longer term objectives and strategy at Eventuri and, and, and things that you're focusing on? And how do you think you're going to be doing this over the next few months? Okay, so with Eventuri, obviously, we're heavily reliant on having a combustion engine in the car, um, which obviously leads to the obvious uh, elephant in the room about electric vehicles. So a couple of months ago, I've started another brand, which is related to what we're doing, but it's actually to make aesthetic aero parts for cars, including electric vehicles. And I'm hoping to launch that in November because I realized the lifespan of Eventuri might be maybe 15, 20 years. So this is me hedging my bets on, on other products and diversifying. So for me, it's about Eventuri is doing its thing. It's going to carry on making new products while it can, but I'm very aware of where the future is going. And I am actually mitigating my business risk by doing a product that won't be affected by all the electrical vehicles that are coming in. Thank you very much, Imran. That was that was fascinating. And actually, it was very interesting to hear your story around how you've grown the business through, you know, perhaps exhibiting at trade fairs and, and just going out there and speaking to people despite the potential or, or initial thoughts that language could be a barrier. And actually, there are lots of opportunities out there. And, and your business is a great example with just 10% of business being done in the UK as a UK business. I think kudos to you and your entrepreneurial attitude in terms of adapting to a changing market, which is not just, you know, the 3D, the 3D printing and the laser scanning opportunities right now, but looking, taking a macro look at the way the industry or the car market is changing and might change in 10 to 15 years and how that will how that will impact your business. So I think for for our listeners and, and any new exporters, I think this is a fantastic example of a company and and an entrepreneur who is who's doing amazing things and and really growing a company amidst times of uncertainty particularly in the geopolitical sphere but i think there are there are very exciting times ahead so imran thank you very much for joining us here today really good to have you on board and we'll keep in touch okay thank you dipesh Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.